One of the core tenets of data mesh is obviously having the self-service platform to enable you to basically navigate around your data mesh. I don't think you can really have a data mesh unless you've got a way of navigating through it. So the idea, if I go back to the API kind of design thinking, which is organizations trying to curate all their API endpoints to enable digital transformation at real pace, data mesh is very similar to that. But all those organizations have somewhere where all the APIs are registered and documented. So you can go and find the one you want, and then you get the permissions to connect to it. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Dedicated On Air, where we bring together data experts to share their journey and impart their knowledge. This is Kate Strashny, the founder of Dedicated and the host of Dedicated On Air. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dedicated Show. My name is Kate Strashne, and I'll be your host for today's session. We are going to talk about leadership in enterprise data mesh. So I'm really, really excited to let you know that we have a special guest with us today. His name is Jack Steele, and he is the Chief Product and Community Officer at Zataris. Hello, hello. Welcome to hey guys. the Dedicated Show. Great to be here. Thank you so Thanks for inviting me along. Absolutely. Let's start with... Where are you tuning in from, Jack? I'm in Australia. So Zotaris is based in Melbourne. We're just about to extend into the US. So we're, we're launching there in the next couple of months. So it's uh, 5 a.m. in the morning here. So it's, uh, it's nice and early. This is a real dedication here. So yes, thank you so much, Jack. I know you had to wake up pretty, pretty early to make it to a 5 o'clock session. So definitely appreciate that. And really looking forward to all the insights you're going to share with us today. I'll briefly just check into the comments to see if we've had answers for our question. And for those who just joined, the question was, are you struggling with your data centralization journey? And I saw some comments already. It looks like Andrew is working with over 70 CPAs that pull reports off of PDFs. Okay, interesting. Scott's asking what he can do with all his data silos. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get more responses as time goes on. But before we get into data mesh, before we get into why we care about data centralization, let's get to know Jack a bit more. So Jack, tell us a little bit about yourself and Zataris. So uh, I've been working in the data industry for 20 years odd, and it's been basically rinse and repeat the same pattern over and over again. So I've been working in large companies, trying to find ways to bring all their data together using classical, classical data warehousing architectures, and then effectively really, really having issues with scaling that. So you get to a certain scale and everything becomes slower and more expensive and the governance becomes incredibly hard. So I joined uh, Zotaris uh, about six months ago to, to, to lead their product stream. It's taking a completely different approach to how, how data is used. We, we connect to data where it lives. So we connect into the source. We're a virtualization first platform. And what this enables us to do is move incredibly fast. So Lots of the use cases that were just too expensive and too slow to do through the centralization journey, we make those possible, but also we get to get access to all those data silos and connect them together. So you don't have to start from scratch. You, you actually get to build on what you've already done. And that's that's a, a, an amazing opportunity from my professional career to be able to do this because it's learning from all those things that didn't work so well over the last 20 years and doing something different. And I think that's that's what I like to do. I like to, like to be moving, moving forwards and changing the way the industry works. Yeah, absolutely. So you joined about six months ago. What was the sort of deciding factor? I know you mentioned some of the things that you were excited about doing with Zataris, but what was the deciding factor where you're like, I'm going to work for Zataris now? Well, I think the deciding factor was I'd just done another very large cloud data lake, data warehousing program. 
And we got to the end of that. And I was thinking, what's next in sort of in the data space? It's like I'd had some chats with uh, Vino. He's the founder of Zataris. He, he founded the company about five years ago. And he had this amazing idea about how do we technically get to the data where it lives? So at the time, uh, the team were building using some previous Hadoop technologies and they pivoted to Spark. And Spark made all this possible. So Spark, like massively powerful MPP open source engines together with Apache Ignite, which is grid scale in memory caching. Those two together make this thing fast, but also being able to bring those two open source technologies together plus some other open source components means that all of a sudden a small company can do stuff that very large companies are struggling to do. You, you end mm-hmm. up sitting on the shoulders of giants, which is the most amazing thing to be able to do because you can get amazing quality products out. And then what Vinay had done was he, he managed to get to the point where this was working in the market. He tested it with numerous customers. So for me, it was an amazing opportunity because in Melbourne, it's a long way away from Silicon Valley, but there are still some great engineers here. So we've been working with a team of fantastic engineers who've pulled this together. And uh, yeah, that was, it was a no-brainer for me. It was the next stage in, in the career and the next big opportunity to go after. You mentioned you're currently in Australia. You're sort of branching out to the US. Would love to hear more. Yes, yeah, so our founder Vinay is coming over to the US this month to, to launch Ataris into the US and to build our sales capability there. We're already in Asia, so we already have some capabilities across Asia. But the US is going to be our biggest market uh, for the next year or two. In terms of the main industries, we're finding that the biggest, hardest data problems are the ones we've been brought in to solve. So banks, telcos, health, these big businesses with lots and lots of data sets, very hard data challenges to join and comply with industry regulations and move fast. They're the ones where we're finding a lot of, uh, a lot of people are getting very excited about what we can do. And that's where we're starting. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it would be good for the audience to sort of set the stage for those who are maybe not familiar with the concept or the term data mesh. It is, I guess, fairly new, or maybe it's been around, but the concept of data mesh is not something everyone is familiar with. So I think it would be great to define that. We started before really data mesh existed as a term. So Jean-Marc Degani is the thought leader in this space. I've been reading all of her content and watching all of her content over the last couple of years. I actually got a white paper a good two or three years ago that I was fascinated by, which is talking about data mesh. So the thinking has been out there. I think what's happened is a lot of different forces will converge at the same time. So data mesh as a concept has now been launched. So everything we've been talking about for a while now has a, a name you can associate with it, which is fantastic. The technology obviously has been built out in parallel. Now, we need to make sure as a company that we can do data mesh, but we can also service companies that want to continue with their data centralization journeys, but having problems with that. We want to be able to keep helping people do data discovery work. So data mesh is one of the, the things we are particularly good at, at helping out with, but it's not the only thing that we do. So I think in terms of the data mesh itself, it is really taking the industry by storm because we've found that lots and lots of companies have been on their data centralization journey for a number of years, but they're getting to the point now where data lakes haven't delivered. So previously, it was data warehouses weren't delivering. It was too hard, too slow, took, took a huge amount of effort to bring all your data into one place and then conform it. And that, at that point, we're all trying to put data models over the top and industry models over the top, and that was creating a lot of friction. Then we pivoted towards data lakes and then brought all the data into the middle again, but then couldn't make any sense of it. So then there's this big challenge of, well, we've spent all this time and money bringing it all into the middle. Now we can't use it. So what we're trying to do is obviously help with those major central centralization challenges. And so data mesh is is complete opposite to that. It's, It's all about building your data products in a federated way, having federated governance, federated management control. But I want to be really clear, data mesh is much more than just a technology approach. It's a, it's a whole way of managing and running your organization to enable data value. 
and to reduce friction by enabling your data owners to own their data products and to make sure they're, they're fit for use. So we play in the technology side of that, but obviously you have to have a whole business transformation and business organizational approach to, to make best value from the data mission. Yes, because it's it's not as easy as simply plugging something in and then everything, no. ooh, we have it now, right? It just doesn't work that way. Absolutely. Yes. I think with the data mesh, some of the challenges are actually being helped by a lot of other things that are happening in large organizations at the moment. So agile and the way of doing sort of squad-based working, bringing multidisciplinary teams together, having product ownership inside lines of business. That same thinking is very, very similar to this idea of moving your ownership of data back into the back into each of the, the operating units. So you effectively, if you're moving the control and the ownership back into those areas, then also you're you're making sure that all that sort of accountability is also in place. Because what we we're finding was you had the poor chief data officer role in the middle of the organization responsible for all the data, but accountable for none of it. So you had this really big problem of all the data is coming into the middle. This centralized data team has to somehow be accountable and responsible for making sure the reports are running correctly, all the data is exactly right. Yet it's been generated by all the business teams. So it's basically trying to make sure that your organization is actually working the way it's meant to. You're, you're putting the types of work that need to be back in the business units back with the business units and then using centralized IT to help reduce friction and make sure all the tools connect together and you know allow sort of best practices around deployment to all work. So it's not it's not a complete reinvention. It's just a it's a, it's a bit of a iterative cycle that companies need to go through to get better at reducing their data costs and reducing friction. Yes, and that makes sense. We have a question from earlier. You mentioned data products. So Scott's asking if you can please define the term data products. So I try and stick as closely as possible to Germac's definition of data products. So for us, what we're starting with is we've got a very, very strong technology platform which allows us to connect to data sets. The data product though has to have more than just the data in it. You've got to have, you've got to have the rules. You've got to have the policies. You've got to have the governance. So we're working at the moment extending what we do to allow people to, to find all those components and be able to find all those self-describing components within the data product itself. So there's a lot more to it than just accessing a data set. I mean, that's obviously the foundational component, but yeah. all those other elements that wrap up around it to enable the, the data product to be interoperable, you know, addressable, composable. All these things that there's a list of about eight or nine of these elements that make up a data product. We're obviously building through those at the moment, but fundamentally getting access to data and lighting it up. So it's not hidden away in dark corners is the first step. And then obviously once you've, once you've made it available and everyone can find it, then it's saying, well, what's the policy for reuse? How, how do I connect to it? What does each field mean? All that sort of stuff has to be wrapped in around the data product so that it's fully usable. Right. And I think. It's important to also talk about how do we get everybody interested in using data mesh and sort of getting the buy-in from the right people to actually go ahead and implement. And this brings me to an another question here that asks, do business leaders need to actually care about data mesh? And how would you sell this concept to a CEO or I guess any other executive? What is the difference at this time? I guess what, what Scott means to say here is there are always these new products that come yeah. up or new technologies and CEOs like... What's new? What's different this time? I think that most CEOs will have been through a couple of cycles of their data journeys and spent huge amounts of money in each of those cycles. So they, they'll have seen what the original data warehouses cost, and they'll know they're still running. They'll also have seen the data lake journey and gone, well, we know that's running. We don't want to start again. So 
one of the key things for data SME is you don't need to start again. You know, you've already built lots and lots of data products. They might not be fully described yet, but they're all out there. You've built a profit and loss data product somewhere, which is a, some kind of cube that you've built in your finance reporting solution. You've built probably a logistics data product somewhere. All the different teams out there have the, have starters of their data products. So the first thing you need to chat to the CEO about is it's not rip and replace. Don't restart your entire data journey. Don't throw out everything you've done. It's about networking it all together, bringing all those bits together you've already done and trying to drive more value out of them whilst adding all the extras you need, like all the, the, the better governance, the better policy control, especially as the data landscape gets, gets, gets far more complicated and regu- regulation means we have to do far more things to protect our data. So I think the first thing is obviously with the CEO is to explain, don't start again. And I think the next thing is to say, we're trying to reduce friction. So it's about your business is moving so fast. I mean, the pandemic's been a great example of how businesses have to pivot really quick. You can't afford to wait for your traditional approaches. You can't wait six months, three months, two months for a new data set to be brought in and then curated and added. You need to be able to move within a few days sometimes, certainly a few weeks, to be able to generate the value out of the data. So you need approaches which move at the speed of the business is moving. And I think that sort of conversation is the right conversation to be having with your CEO, not not data mesh and not the, the fundamental technology conversations. Yeah, I completely understand. And I, I definitely agree that you don't need to sit down and say, hey, you need data mesh now because chances are you lose interest. And uh, I think focusing in on how do we lower cost, how do we increase revenue and th- that kind of conversation is definitely more appropriate. And the sort of follow-up question to that is who needs to be at the table when you're making this decision? And not only the decision of you know data mesh or something else, but for all, I guess, data... How should I word it? So if we're trying to go towards data centralization, all sorts of change management conversations, who do you think needs to be at that table? I think data mesh is a team sport. So it's yeah. it really does require so many different teams to be brought in to make it work. You've got obviously the classical data teams that are already there. So you've got your governance teams, you know, your chief data office, you've got its core technology teams. But then you've got also your business units as well, and they have to be brought in because at the end of the day, they've got to pivot a little bit of their approach to really figuring out how they're going to own the products that are being generated. Now, IT and data for years been trying to figure out how to push ownership back into the business. So we've had the idea of data stewards and we've had the idea of data owners. Now, typically what happens is those initiatives last for a bit of time. So you get a, get a big burst of activity and everyone goes, right, I'm now the data owner for this. But gradually over time, your sort of communities of practice start to just drift away. You know, maybe the exec no longer attends the meeting, he sends his number two, and then number two no longer attends the meeting, and then someone else comes in. And so those forums and those those components gradually lose power. So by pushing the data product back into the business unit and then having value-driving applications running straight off it, you're really making that linkage between the data and the value a lot more clear to the business unit itself. And also, you're going to have to incentivize those business units a little bit differently to help them maintain the the service levels that they they, they need to provide, but also make sure everyone's aware of the data product and its its usefulness. So you need a lot of different teams involved. Even like traditional communications need to bring in to help tell the story of what's now available and and how 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 to get your products across to the different units. So by the way, this whole extra area of the business now has data products you can see. In terms of the any other areas of the business you might want to bring in, I'll just double down on this communications point. I think the, yeah. the one thing companies probably neglect when it comes to big organizational change 
And data mesh, I think, is a big organizational change. It needs to be done in a very subtle way. You can't, you can't smash the thing and you've got to gradually go through lots of iterations. So, you know, choose a data product early on, which has a lot of value, but isn't too complicated to deliver. So as long as you've got the right sort of change and, and communications around that about the success, you'll gradually, you'll get the sort of, I want to be part of that kind of attitude coming from the rest of the business units where they see someone else being successful, they want a piece of it. So this is often the problem with these large centralization projects because they force you to go for a multi-million dollar sign-off budget at the start. And then you constrain, you constrain the scope into a very small bucket. So you're like saying, right, this project's going to do this data warehouse migration from A to B, and that's it. The thing with the data mesh is each business unit can effectively decide they want to start publishing some data products. As long as you put the core centralized tools in, and you do need some centralized, centralized tools to enable you to be able to curate these things and be able to access across them all. It's not all completely distributed. As long as you've got those tools, and that's where Zataris is, is, is playing. We, we are effectively positioning ourselves as a self-service platform for data mesh. So all the different data products, because we connect virtually into all these different places, you can effectively bring the view of everything together into one place. Now, doesn't mean we have to rebuild the logic that exists in all the different warehouses. We can simply create a virtualized view into that warehouse and then join that warehouse with another warehouse and create cross-warehouse analytics. And these, this, is the, this is the big problem that most companies have been struggling with, that they have lots of these legacy assets but they can't get value out of them. So Right. And I think it's it's really important earlier, you mentioned communication and it's it's such a good point because you also said that you have to communicate that we don't necessarily have to throw out everything we've been working on for the past, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, however long people have been working with data warehouses and sort of starting from where you are and leveraging all the work that's already been done. I think it's an easier sell versus, okay, here's this brand new thing, throw everything out. We're starting from scratch chances are you're not going to really get buy-in from especially those bigger, older companies to, to move forward with that. Absolutely. And we, we find that it's generally the bigger, older companies that are organizationally really complex and they get the most value out of data mesh. Um, mm-hmm. Because for, and also those companies which have been going through lots of mergers and acquisitions, where they've got lots of silos of, you know, duplicated capabilities. So these sorts of companies are really, really good for data mesh. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, other other types of companies which are, Maybe have large data problems, but they don't have so much complexity. Obviously, virtualization still plays a role there, but data mesh itself probably isn't such a good fit for some of those companies. You know, they can probably bring their data together fairly simply. It's, it, but it's, yeah, the larger companies and the ones with, with more organizational complexity. That's where by default, each team has to kind of go off and build its own stuff because. They tried it centrally for a while and it got too complicated and then they ended defaulting back to just doing whatever it took to get the data they needed. Yes, yes. And then uh, Ravid actually has a, a question here. Do you think it's actually better to build a self-serve data platform or I guess to outsource something like this? So one of the core tenets of data mesh is obviously having the self-service platform to enable you to basically navigate around your data mesh. I don't think you can really have a data mesh unless you've got a way of navigating through it. So the idea, if I go back to the API kind of design thinking, which is organizations trying to curate all their API endpoints to enable digital transformation at real pace, data mesh is very similar to that. But all those organizations have somewhere where all the APIs are registered and documented. So you can go and find the one you want, and then Mm -hmm. you get the permissions to connect to it. Um, Because, And that same approach obviously has to happen with data mesh. You've got to have somewhere you can go where all your data products are there to find and the connections between them are, are, are obvious. And that's that's what we're building out at the moment to, to make sure that, that 
companies who are building their data mesh don't end up involuntarily building more data silos because that's typically what happens when you, when you haven't got a way of moving around. You know, you, it's like these data lakes. I mean, most companies don't have one data lake now. They've probably got three. They've got one on each of the major cloud vendors yeah. and maybe one division's running on this one and another division's running on that one. And it's it's kind of, it's it's a real mess. And But the data lake was originally proposed to be the one central place where all your data goes. So yeah, I that that it's human nature to have this different approaches locally. So we have to find a way to connect over the top, I guess. Yeah, I've heard sometimes that the, the beta league becomes the beta swamp and then there, there are other ways of, of describing that, I guess. And in an attempt to simplify, sometimes we end up making things even more complicated. And Scott says it's refreshing for him to hear somebody say that everyone doesn't need this because a lot of times you'll hear you know, a company comes out with with a technology or product, but then like, oh, this is for everybody, one size fits all. So I think it's it's good to to really understand who needs this, who can benefit from this the most, and really narrow down on who you can actually add value to. Absolutely, I think yeah, data mesh requires a lot of thinking. There's a lot of a lot of organizational work you've got to do. If you're a small startup, yeah. you may well still have a cost problem with your data. You may well still have an access problem with your data. So. Analytical data virtualization is still, which is something we do, it's our core tenant, maybe still valid for you, but not in the data mesh style. You can do it in a lot, lot more straightforward way. And also, the, the other thing that really holds dear is we don't believe that you always have to physicalize your data. So mm-hmm. a lot of the time, people are moving data just to be able to do analytics on it. So they say, right, I've got to move all this data from where it's been created to this other point over here because I want to run some analytics on it. And so we, we enable companies to run their analytics on the data where it sits. And that's quite a big shift. So these approaches are still valid for smaller companies, but absolutely the, the data mesh isn't necessarily the right approach if you're small. Yes, that makes sense. And let's say for a company that decides this is the right thing for them to move forward with, what would you say are some tips for implementation of data mesh? So I think that the absolute trick with data mesh is getting the first product right. So getting the first one or two products right, so you get this positive kind of cycle of, of improvement coming off that, and also great stories to tell. Now, the problem with getting the first one right is getting this balance between doability and value. So you might have the most amazing data product, but it's incredibly hard to build. And yeah. we've all seen them out there, like people saying, right, I want a 360 degree of customer. This is one of the ones that Germac talks about. There's like customer lifetime value model or all these other really complex things that take a long time to build. For me, the best initial data product is probably if you scan your systems and say what data is being used most across the organization at the moment that we have to make sure is the most consistently used and has the, uh, and we're able to control it in the best way. That's probably one of the areas where I'd be lighting up and say that's worth a look. Now, mm-hmm. it might be a very basic thing like simply your sales numbers, where you simply say the sales team keeps getting asked 100 different ways, what was our sales for yesterday? What's our sales you know, for last month? And they end up building point-to-point interfaces between their system and every other system in the organization because everyone's taking a different cut of that. So it might be they're worried about contracts. They might be they're worried about the P&L forecast, whatever it is. So in the same way that APIs were kind of built to reduce the spaghetti mess of interfaces and all that data quality problems you get by having different data sets of different statuses, if you can kind of go after one of these products which radically starts simplifying how you manage your data, then that's a really good use case for me for data mesh. So it's saying, okay, now we're just going to publish this one data product 
and all these consumers that were having to rely on point-to-point interfaces, which broke and, you know, things were moving. That's that's yeah. one good use case. Another really good one is something that changes quite frequently. So it might be a really useful data product for your organization, but you're struggling with your pipes breaking all the time because the definition of it keeps moving and mm-hmm. the governance you've got can't keep up with the change. That might be another really good data product to start with. So it's something useful, but you don't necessarily want it to be a static thing that, that stays in the same format forever. Because if it's really static, you've probably already built a data warehouse solution to, to kind of cover it. So there are a couple of ideas, but I think it has to be relevant to the organization and, and the pain points the existing organization has. It, it, so the pain point might be, We've got too much complexity in our ETL. We want to simplify it. So your first use case is one that unlocks that. Or it might be we're not moving fast enough and therefore we need a data product which gives us a bit of internal insight into this key metric that's moving. So mm-hmm. I think the main point on this is you've got to hook this data product into something your CEO or your senior exec cares about. Because if the data product's not helping them with that problem, your whole sort of journey isn't really going to take off. You've got to you've got to align your first thing with something they're passionate about. So they go, right, data mesh has helped me on my on my strategic journey, whatever is whatever it is they're trying to achieve. Right. So picking a good pain point, making sure it's something that's has high visibility amongst executives and not totally crazy to implement, right? Like not Absolutely. something extremely difficult. So that's probably a good a good starting point. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. From your experience so far, what have you seen some of the more like common struggles of organizations that try implementing data mesh? What what obstacles do they face? I think the biggest problem has been that we've only just kind of come off the the Kool-Aid from the data lake journey. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a bit of a credibility gap at the moment with in data because we did data warehousing for so long and then the next big hope was data lakes. Okay. And now we're saying they didn't work. So I think the biggest problem we've got at the moment is constantly changing the narrative to senior execs and then losing faith that this is possible. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, they've only got so much capital to deploy and they want to deploy it in a way which is going to generate real value for their their organization. So, So that's why I think the messaging has to change. It's no longer this big bang, large implementation, you know, let's let's migrate entirety of X to Y and then spend lots and lots of money doing it. If you can find a way that shows early value and and demonstrates that this is a sustainable approach and it's really engaging with the different business units, then they'll be far more likely to buy in. So so I think that's that's the trick. Okay, makes sense. And uh, we had a question earlier from Ravit. He was asking for where you think data mesh is going, let's say in the next two to three years, um, sort of predicting the future a little bit. Do you see just a higher implementation amongst specific types of companies or... Do you see this evolving into sort of being a fit for smaller companies as well? What are your thoughts? I'm absolutely sold on all the thinking behind it. So I think it's going to go the same way as APIs have done, which was you have a few early adopters who are building APIs and generating really, really fast business outcomes. And then the industry wakes up and everyone goes, we want some of this. And it becomes a commoditized idea that everybody just says, that's just the way you do it. Mm -hmm. I think my take on it in the next three years or so, it's going to become, this is being backed up by Gartner and Forrester. Everyone's putting this idea of data mesh or data fabric into their into their sort of top 10 absolute game-changing ideas at the moment. So I think it's going to very, very quickly accelerate into just being a standard way of, of doing data. It's going to be the early adopters of it who are going to be the ones who are sort of shone up in lights. So, you know, it's the likes of Numerous companies who were the early adopters of Agile, and they got a huge amount of kudos off the back of that. You know, they were the ones who were always referenced when it came to Agile transformations. 
So I think so. we'll see some of the early adopters of data mesh, therefore getting a lot of kudos in the industry, and, and they'll be asked to speak at conferences and all that sort of stuff. So that's where I see it going. I think, though, that the challenge is going to be that it's got to be built in the right way because all these approaches which are based on great ideas, if they're not executed well, they'll all fail. So data modeling is a great thing to do if you can execute well on it. But yeah. the trouble is lots of the time the teams aren't fully cognizant of how to do it. They they think that they've got their own you know unique way of being able to implement it. So I think there's a key here, which is also training and kind of experience to make sure that all the organizations are trying to do data mesh really deeply understand what it is and they're not simply going, I like the idea of a mesh. Let's just build some data things that kind of are connected together. You know, it's like you've got to you go a bit deeper than just the name, I guess. Yeah, you can't just say, let's do AI now, right? And then expect some magic to happen. Now, yeah, that's that's great. You mentioned training and experience. So I just want to dig a little bit more into that aspect because like you said, you can't just say we're going to do data mesh because I, you know Gartner and Forrester have been talking about it, so let's do it. We spoke about identifying some methods of getting buy-in of how do we start with implementation. So let's talk about this training and experience because I think that is important because it comes down to the people who actually have to do this implementation. And what do you think an organization can do to sort of train up their people? Are there resources that you can share that they can go and read up on or anything else that you can share to sort of help along that path of training? I think we're very early in the data mesh journey. I think that's the first thing I'll say. So Germax just published her book with her deep thinking in it, and that came out the last month or so. Mm -hmm. So what we haven't yet got, and I, I keep drawing this parallel to Agile. I started looking at Agile about five or six years ago, and there were probably two or three different methods of doing Agile at the time. Now, it was a big fight between Scrum and Scale Agile, and we mm -hmm. had two different sort of thoughts about how, how best to apply this. We haven't yet got those same approaches for data mesh where there's, where there's actually, you know, a, a training curriculum and a, and a set of methodologies and, you know, a kind of a playbook for how to implement data mesh. That will mm -hmm. come. I've got no doubt about it that there's going to be a lot of companies who are building those out and then we'll create, you know, certified data mesh consultants and all that sort of stuff. It's, I think we, that's, that's going to come in the next sort of six months, I'd imagine. So we're in the early adopters phase at the moment of this, of this, of this construct, of concept. And it's going to be the early adopters who are going to basically set, set what works and what doesn't. So it's, mm -hmm. we're finding with our customers that it's typically, um, the thinking is there's a big mindset shift is, is I guess where I'm coming from is everyone you chat to in industry has a particular thing that comes to mind when you talk about data mesh and then. A lot of the paradigms that have been in the industry for a long time, you've got to kind of turn on their heads a bit. So for the data modelers, they can't now start from top and then kind of yeah. work down. They've got to think about individual atomic things that have value. That's a bit of a mindset shift. And then for the governance people, it's no longer bringing everyone into the middle. It's now saying, well, how do we do federated governance? How do we do just enough governance with our central team to help each of the units do their, their data governance and their products? So this approach, it's going to be supported by the big SIs. I've got no doubt they'll come in and help make sure it's done well. The small SIs will become experts in certain elements of this. And mm -hmm. then I think overall, the industry will just gradually get better at, at doing it. But it's going to be, there'll be a few failures and there'll be a few screaming successes. And it's just about getting, shaking out the things that don't work and, and making sure that uh, we start getting some methodologies, I guess, around this. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned early adopters. And I think those listening, if you want to be one of those early adopters that get asked to speak at conferences, the time to start implementing is now. 
And I think if, if anyone in the audience right now is interested in implementing data mesh with its, with Zataris, what would be some of their next steps? I think the thing with Zataris is it's a very quick platform to get up and running because we don't physicalize the data. You can effectively get running with your analytics very, very fast because the biggest pain point with most data programs is getting access to the data sets and then pulling all the data in and then turning it into useful formats. So leaving it where it is accelerates all of that. So the way to get started is literally find find a use case which is causing you pain and you can't solve it any other way. And then we'll be super happy to come in and kind of work with you on that use case and turn it into a value proposition. So we've got teams that do that. So reach out to us over LinkedIn or, or, or go onto our website and request a demo. There's there's a couple of different ways of accessing accessing that. But I think fundamentally, we're best in the sort of scenarios where you can't find another way of doing it. The data's too big to move or mm-hmm. you've got it in too many silos and you've run out of money and you can't afford to now integrate all those different silos into one central place. You know, there's lots of pain points out there that we want to bring in our technology to help you to help add to what you already have. And then mm-hmm. that's that's where where the journey starts with us, really. It's, it's probably on a side use case to add to your existing strategy. And most companies will have a data-like strategy or have a centralization strategy, but there'll be lots of use cases you just can't execute on because you haven't managed to get all your data into the one place yet. So right. if you want to accelerate those and get prove that they work before maybe you bring the center into the center, that's a, that's a really good use case for us. Right. And then so as the head of product at Zataris, when you talk to potential customers or existing clients, is this one of your main selling points, the fact that they don't have to move their data, that they can Absolutely. stay where it is? It's, yeah, it's, it's fundamental. So running the analytics on the data where it sits, yeah. it saves so many different problems. I mean, even if we just look at the problems you have with test environments and dev environments and bringing data into those and the, the amount of time it takes to get from one end of your dev cycle to the end. Some companies have speeded this up to a few weeks or a few days, but they're the absolute exception. Most companies I, I've worked with, it's taken a th- quarter, three months to do a release. And yeah. so you know, these ideas about acting where it lives, and then you can change your logic on the fly because all you're doing is you're changing it virtually as, as you run. So if you want to change the way you're converting a data set or joining a data set, it's as simple as a SQL statement. So everything in the platform is SQL driven. So it's very, very fast to generate value. Yeah, you mentioned very, very fast. And I know speed is relative, right? So I wanted to ask on average, and I know this will vary greatly based on company size and complexity, but how long does it take for an organization to start seeing value from data mesh from the point where they're interested enough to ask you a question, set up a call with Zataris, right? Or go go book a demo or something from that point to the point where their executives are like, oh, wow, this is cool. This is giving us some value. So I think, you know, probably in, in a, in a three week period, you can make a really good jump start on a, on a problem. So okay. it takes a week or so to get your system connections agreed with the system owners. That always takes a bit of time. Mm-hmm. It's going to take you a bit of time to experiment with the data and then join yeah. it together and then a bit of time to present it in a way that these will understand. So, you know, three to four weeks, you can generally generate something of, of value, but it just requires that pre-planning. And like lots of the time when you come into organizations, it's the, permissions to access data, which is the biggest problem. So as long as that's all sorted, the technology itself, we can create the system connection in minutes. It's just the permissions to get it running is, is okay. often the tricky bit. And do you have to be on site to do that? Obviously, with the virtual world, we, we're <laughs> finding ways to run projects from anywhere in the world, obviously, and then our, we can deploy our software into any cloud. So we've got a, a SaaS product that's, that's, that's launching later on this year, but our mm-hmm. enterprise version can be deployed anywhere. As long as there's a VM, we can run. 
Okay, cool. So once you get that, we can run. So it's literally it's just deployable software containerized with with a full scalability with Kubernetes under the covers. So okay, so you get the permissions for the data, and then during the experimentation phase, you mentioned I guess that's when the testing happens to make sure everything is working. Yeah, we've got obviously all the stuff we'd expect. We've got things like policy and governance control within the engine. And the great thing is because we're pushing basically SQL commands back into the source systems, and we're doing that in an MPP way. So we're obviously we're splitting up these queries into very small components so that the amount of load is, is minimized in all different source platforms. But mm-hmm. because we're pushing these commands down, you can control the data that comes back. So you can say, look, you can't see this particular data set or you can't see this particular field. So we've got very, very dynamic ability to be able to do access control on the fly for all sorts of different combinations. And that's that's one of the interesting things you get when you're not moving and physically moving data. It obviously, the fewer copies of the data you have, the less compliance risk you've got as well. So if you've got a data set that you really don't want to be moving because you don't have copies of it around the organization, then leaving it in place makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. And then last question on this, does that also reduce cost? Because you don't have to make copies of the data, you don't have to move it. I'm assuming that impacts cost as well. Huge cost savings. So we've built some ROI calculators, and that's one of the conversations we're absolutely delighted to have with customers. We built some ROI calculators which show where you can save all your costs. Now, clearly, there's compute savings. You know, you're not processing all your data and running it through multiple times and Mm -hmm. saving multiple copies of it. But the main thing is, for me, it's the speed up cost is the main saver. When I've worked with organizations, it's the, it's the time for your developers and your engineers and your testers. Basically, that whole delivery cycle, change cycle is much, much shorter. So that's where you save most of your money. Cloud compute is obviously storage is fairly cheap these days. It's almost free. It's the compute that costs. So we minimize that, but it's the main thing is the time saving. And okay. therefore, the cost of salaries and the cost of having to employ lots of contractors and very expensive data engineers that <laughs> you have to bring into your organizational data scientists, for instance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially if it takes people longer. Since you said it takes about three weeks to see value, that's that's not as much time as some other implementations would take, um, which I know can take months, maybe years in, in yeah. other cases. So definitely love that. All right. Well, Jack, I've personally learned a great deal about data mesh. So thank you. Because I keep hearing the term and I was really looking forward to the session to sort of get a better understanding of, you know, what are the benefits? What are the challenges? Who is this really for? So you've done a great job at explaining this. And I want to thank you for your time. And before we wrap up, I always like to ask, because I'm sure there are people in the audience who want to learn more, who want to continue the conversation. So where can they go to do that? Yeah, so, so drop into our website, have a look at Zataris.com. There's a book of demo capability on that. We've also got lots of thought papers and some webinars that we've been doing over the last uh, six months. Or just drop us a line on LinkedIn. Drop myself or Vinay, the founder, uh, a line on LinkedIn. We'll be delighted to hear from you all. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, looking forward to the conversations continuing. Yeah, absolutely. I actually checked out, I think it was two sessions you already had with Forrester on the topic. So I definitely learned a lot there as well. And I love the fact that you guys are putting out content for the general data community and educating everybody on this uh, important new hot topic. So thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, Jack, have a great rest of your morning since you just woke up. I don't know if you're going back to bed or starting your day, but either way, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and thank you so much for the audience for engaging and asking us great questions. I will see everybody online and stay dedicated. Thank you so much for listening to the Dedicated On Air podcast. We really hope you'll come back for more episodes. And until then, Stay dedicated.